well that's that's the thinking that needs to change obviously in my I mean maybe not obviously if you don't know me but (laughs) in in my life just having that that complete depravity mentality and yeah and then understanding that Jesus is not going to be mad at me or hold a grudge because of my poor behavior. Welcome to Book Therapy. I'm your host, Kim Patton. There's no way to count how many books are floating around in this world. Some are decent, some are truly terrible, and some are great. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into one great book. Together, we will discover gems of truth and encouragement to help you face your current season of life. I'm ready. You're ready. Let's get this party started. Thank you so much for joining me here today. We are going to dive into our next episode with a special guest today. But first, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. We have gotten through 10 whole episodes together, which is something to be celebrated. And I have lots more in store for this little show. So I will keep you posted, but we have exciting things coming. And I have new special guests that I can't wait for you to hear So keep listening and keep telling your friends because I really, really appreciate your support and I really appreciate when you spread the word so that this little podcast can just keep on chugging. Thanks so much. Let's dive into the book. Today we are talking about Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. The subtitle is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Dane Ortland is a pastor in Illinois. And he has authored several books. He used to work for Crossway, which was the publishing house that published this book. His sequel to this is called Deeper, Real Change for Real Sinners. I was given this book along with all of my family members by my mom. And so today I have a special guest. My older brother is joining me. First, I want to give an introduction of the background of this book. He brings in a lot of theology from the Puritan age. And if you know anything about the Puritan age, you know more than me because I know basically nothing about the Puritan age. But I was really surprised by all the fantastic quotes and all the good material that he has brought into this book. I've spent a lifetime in church and I felt that each chapter brought me something fresh and new and just a good perspective, a good way to look at um, who Christ is. On page 13 in the introduction, Dane Ortland says, This is a book about the heart of Christ. Who is he? Who is he really? What is most natural to him? His premise is Matthew 11, 28 through 30, which says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I was talking to my friend the other day who mentioned that she was finding herself second-guessing her prayers. She was saying, oh, I'd say this to God, and then I just would take it back. I would say, no, he doesn't have time for that. He doesn't care about that. This thing is just so small and stupid, and why, why am I even bringing it up? But the more she learned about God that week, she felt that he was open to hearing her prayers of all types. She stopped feeling guilty about praying those little tiny prayers that we all have and she just said you know what God loves me he cares and if it's important to me it's important to him that thought sums up what we're going to talk about today everything is important to him because it's important to us and he's there for us so we're going to dive into what it means for Christ to be gentle and lowly and what that means for us bienvenido 
Welcome to the show, David, mi hermano grande. He's my big brother, and I'm so glad to be recording with him today. He is a pastor in Brazil, so he's a missionary. He has a beautiful wife, Sarah, and two little girls, Anna Claire and Evie. And we are in Georgia, but kind of in Tennessee. So welcome to the show, David. Thank you. It's good to be here. I appreciate it. I'm a fan. <laughs> yes! I have one fan! All right, so we're going to start with the first point, which covers the title. What does it mean for Christ to be gentle and lowly? So talk to me about some of the quotes and some of the things that the author brought up that spoke to you. It really spoke to me because of... You know, you mentioned that mom had given us this book and how we grew up. We really kind of looked at God uh, and our Christianity more as works-based. You know, if we did something wrong, maybe God would not be happy with us. This book, without being responsive to that, I feel like if I were writing this, I would be like, this culture is awful, I can't believe this, but he came in... Uh, just saying, okay, here's here's the heart of Christ. He moves towards us in our sin, in our uh, rebellion against him. Uh, he's coming towards us. He's not sitting in a corner crying because we sinned against him. And uh, that was neat. I, I think on page 36, he writes, his joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came, end quote. So basically, he, he gets joy out of giving us grace, giving us compassion. That's, that's the point. He, I think he even talked about a doctor that you know wants to help people out. He comes to, to cure a disease or something and no one wants help. Then he's not going to be joyful in that. But Jesus came to help that. So when we come to him in our brokenness, that is when he feels joy, and that's that's what's natural to him. On, on page 38, he says, When you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, you are going with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against them. End quote. So I'm curious, how has reading this book and specifically this topic or this um, characteristic of Christ, how has it changed the way you view Christ and the way you view your own depravity and coming to him with the little things, the big things, and feeling welcomed rather than pushed away? I don't know that I had too much of a skewed vision of Christ in that means. I think where it's helped me the most is I... seeing how I should react. What If I'm supposed to be like Christ, then I should be reacting to people with compassion, with love, going towards them. You know, I'm a, I'm a pastor and we have people going in and out of the church and it's like, well, they're out, that's it, you know. But it's like they're in sin. I need to move towards them in that and forget about you know, my bitterness, forget about my agenda that I had for their lives. Uh, I, I want to move towards them in that. And so, yeah, it does affect how, how I see Christ as well and uh, getting to know him. But I think for my reaction, it, w- it was more on 
a part of how how I am going to approach other people. So we know that in the New Testament, Jesus moved toward the outcasts. Um, there's so many stories of him physically touching the people who needed him the most. I think there was even like a Bible project video. I feel like I, I watched on this. It's just a neat uh, picture. And if you want a visual, uh, the Bible project has a video on it. And I couldn't tell you which one it is. <laughs> uh, the quote regarding that on page 31 is, he was reversing the Jewish system. When Jesus, the clean one, touched an unclean sinner, Jesus did not become unclean. The sinner became clean. Secondly, we have a good old-fashioned Baptist KJV word, and David and I grew up in a KJV church, so tell me what he says about Jesus loving us to the uttermost. Well, on page 82, he says, what is the point of saying Christ saves to the uttermost? We who know our hearts understand. We are to the uttermost sinners. We need a to the uttermost savior, end quote. So basically, it's depravity of man. We are utterly sinful, and really we need to see ourselves that way. If we, The more we see ourselves as needing to be saved, the more we can understand how much Christ loves us, that through and through, uh, as much as we sin, uh, he still covers that, and he still comes to us to us in compassion, in mercy, in goodness, in kindness, in patience, in love, in understanding. Do you really do you really believe this? Like do you live your life to where when you sin you you know that Christ meets you there or do you feel do you still feel like no, he's going to want nothing to do with me after today? Well, that's that's the thinking that needs to change, obviously, in my, I mean, maybe not obviously if you don't know me, but <laughs> in in my life, just having that, that complete depravity mentality and, yeah, and then understanding that Jesus is not going to be mad at me or hold a grudge uh, because of my poor behavior. And yeah, that is very, very comforting. We didn't mention this, but this book is written for believers. And there's this doctrine of already not yet, where we, we were saved. We had a point of salvation where we accepted Christ and trusted him to be our Lord. We believe in the resurrection. But then as we move forward with this life, Sometimes it gets a little blurry because maybe sometimes we don't feel like we have that salvation or we don't feel like we have a close relationship with the Lord. And this book gets to the heart of Christ loving us to the uttermost. He saved you. You are being saved. And in the end, you will be saved eternally. So this already not yet doctrine speaks to, yes, you have the faith. God has given you the faith to believe in his son and to live a Christian life, but we are failing every day. And so we do have to address the problem of sin because it's something that we struggle with in our sin nature every day. But because we are a new creation, we are able to also live in the new life that Christ has given to us. But we just know that it's not over. We're going to be fighting this battle our entire lives until 
we move on to eternity where our souls are finally and eternally saved. Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> I actually do have a lot of thoughts on that because that, that's been kind of the main my main preaching point lately uh, is talking about the uh, being saved in in First uh, Corinthians fifteen one and two. Uh, Paul says that we are being saved. And in the KG, KJV, it says which the gospel which has saved you as if it was a one-time event. And I think we kind of grew up or the church even has that mentality of salvation just being con- for conversion, the gospel just being for conversion. Um, but even this book has influenced me a lot as far as the gospel being continuously for us and for our sanctification of the not yet aspect. So we are being saved and understanding uh, who God is, who Jesus is, uh, that he is gentle and lowly is a helpful uh, meditation point as far as our sanctification process. Because as we see how Christ comes to us, it teaches us how we can go towards other people as well. And, you know, so often we don't do that when we're not patient, when we have anger, outbursts, uh, all that. It's it's basically the opposite of how who Christ is. Uh, he's gentle and lowly. He's humble. He doesn't wince, I guess you could say, like if, <laughs> yeah. at our sin. Yeah, that's good. Tell me the illustration that you use um, about the bride. Yeah, so I use this illustration once, and Sarah keeps coming back to it, and like, <laughs> yeah, that one. But basically, just the, you know, Jesus marrying his bride, marrying the church. And if you had someone officiating the wedding, you know, say, hey, uh, Jesus, or or whoever for that matter, your bride is going to cheat on you. They're gonna. They're not going to be loyal to you. You're constantly going to have to go after them. And he's like, I do. I do. Constantly, you know, I do. That's fine. I know. And I'm here, and I'm excited about getting married. It's like, who on earth would do that? But yeah. Jesus does that with us. That's shocking. And it goes back to the Old Testament, right. Israel, and all of their... We're so hard on them. But honestly, we do the same thing. It's just... Old Testament versus new, not much has changed, let's be honest. All right, so this third point is is an interesting one. Um, We're going to talk about the characteristics of Christ as our advocate slash intercessor slash companion slash friend, etc., etc. The list goes on and on of what, what Christ can be to us as we go through this life. So I was curious about this when you had it on, on the list. What what made you want to focus on this point? I've heard the Greek word paraclete talked about a few times in sermons. And it's an interesting word to me because it seems to it seems to encompass quite a few things that you can't quite put into just one word. Kevin studied at Dallas Theological Seminary for four years, and they have a Bible version that you can find on Version. It's called the NET, N-E-T. And the way they talk about this word paraclete, it comes from John 14, verse 16. Then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. 
the net translates that word advocate from paraclete. But in the notes, it says that it can also be helper or counselor, companion, friend, comforter. And I think paraclete is this interesting word that defines Jesus for me. When I see paraclete, I automatically feel like someone is for me. Someone is not going to leave me alone. Someone is going to fight for me. I think that's a beautiful picture of Jesus. And I think it helps us understand that we don't have to fight against him or we don't have to prove anything to him. On page 115, the author talks about your relational circle and how there are some people in your life that are going to be particularly close to you. It's always comforting to know a friend that really understands where you're coming from. They get you. They relate with your struggles and they they are your companion. And if you're married, hopefully that person is your spouse. But there's also a lack because nobody can fulfill everything. And having Christ as your companion is going to be someone who knows all of you and loves and loves you anyway. On page 118, the author mentions companion as another word for friend, specifically talking about someone who goes with you on a journey. So he says, what I'm trying to say is that the heart of Christ not only heals our feelings of rejection with his embrace, and not only corrects our sense of his harshness with the view of his gentleness, and not only changes our assumption of his aloofness into an awareness of his sympathy with us, but it also heals our aloneness with his sheer companionship. End quote. To wrap it up, we talked about what it means for Christ to be gentle and lowly, how he loves us to the uttermost, and how he is our paraclete, our advocate, intercessor, companion, friend. Looping back to the beginning, what we talked about, our assumption of God, this is what he says on page 151. The Christian life from one angle is the long journey of letting our natural assumption about who God is over many decades fall away being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who he is. This is hard work. End quote. I love that so much, and I want you to think about who God means to you and what needs to fall away. What assumptions are we making about God that he has never told us? Or how do we feel about God that can be replaced with instead his kindness, his love, his mercy, and like you said before, David, his running towards us in our sin rather than we feel like he's running away. Talk to me a little bit about the deconstruction of faith because we do have these assumptions. So what do we do when we come across a book like this that challenges our nature to feel that God is so, so powerful that he can't even dabble with us, you know, minions yeah, so th- lately that term, de- deconstruction, has really come out a lot in culture, especially in terms of our faith. And, you know, it it can be dangerous, but I think it's it can be really healthy because, you know, who's, who's to say we're right about things? Like, we grew up in a specific time, specific culture, have specific family even that are going to affect how we view God and who he is. I think what we need to do, an important 
step in all this is the standard by which we figure out what is truth. And I would say the scripture should be that standard. Obviously, Dane Orland uses a lot of scripture here. And it was a powerful book to me because it did question how I grew up, just my perceptions about God, who God is. And so that was that was the most powerful to me. And the implications to those thoughts about God, because if God is that way, then I need to be this way. So tell me what you mean by deconstruction of faith and revising your worldview. Right. So basically, we always need to be thinking about, and what do I believe? Is that true? Like an example, a touchy subject, actually, in Brazil, it's super common for women pastors. So I go into that, okay, I grew up in the U.S. U.S., it's more common to say the, the pastorate should be male, you know, growing up Baptist, that's, that's how it is. Am I wrong? So I need to look at this with an open mind. Yes, I do need to consult people and all that, but I need, I need to think what, what is truth, or am I just trying to project my thinking on people when, when it may or may not be true? And thankfully, we have our paraclete beside us <laughs> helping us with this process. Okay, Dave. So Sarah has read the next book, Deeper. You've read it too? Yeah, I finished it yesterday. Oh, nice. What did you think of his second book? Uh, his second book really focuses on Jesus and going deeper in your relationship with Jesus. And yeah, I would, I would recommend it. My wife would highly recommend it. We say second book, but he's had a few published works, I think, before this. Gentle and Lowly, when it came out, was everywhere. I saw it over and over again as being praised for a really great book. I gave it five stars. I recommend it to anyone who wants to get to know the heart of Christ a little bit more and maybe needs a tender approach to the heart of Christ. Maybe you've been wounded by the church and it's even hard for you to go to church right now. This is a great book that can open you up to his character and his heart and hopefully woo you back into relationship with him if that's a struggle for you right now, which it is, you know, for many people. And we understand that and Christ understands that. And that's why he's here welcoming you back. All right, we're good. Any jokes? Nope. Thank you, David, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it and I really enjoy the podcast thank you so much for listening to another episode of the book therapy podcast we covered gentle and lowly today by dane ortland and he has several other books if you want to check them out we will be back again next time so can't wait to see you then to wrap it up we talked about what it means for christ to be gentle and lonely Gentle and lonely. <laughs> Should I say that? End quote. Is that yeah? Because yeah. that just helps. Because oh, I've never done that. Yeah, you have. No, I haven't. Oh no. No. When you said it that first time, I was like, "That's why I did it." Because I've heard yeah. you do it. It just feels so professional. End quote. Start quote. Maybe I didn't End get quote. it from you. Maybe, Maybe I, I said. Got it somewhere else. No, I feel I... like you've said it. <laughs>
Okay, so uh, what else? Anything? First poll of the podcast, <laughs> has Kim said end quote before? 